Well, it's always an honor and a privilege to bring God's Word to you all and, and to His people, and just thankful that uh, I get to preach this morning. This morning, I wanted to just start off by sharing a story that Dr. James Dobson likes to share. I read it, and it was just poignant for today's message. He says, a certain medical student felt that he could simplistically and single-handedly take on a mental patient who had certain delusions by logically setting everything straight in his mind. You see, this patient thought he was dead. The aspiring doctor believed that all he needed to do was rationally prove to this man that he could not be dead. Sitting down beside this man, the intern asked him if dead people could bleed. The patient said that he was certain that they could not. Then the intern pricked the finger of the patient and triumphantly asked him what he thought now that the blood appeared. The patient said, well, I'll be. Dead people can bleed after all. Sometimes preconceived ideas, notions, thoughts, the way we're raised, the way we're taught, can be very, very difficult to shed. Even in light of undeniable facts. This morning we're going to look at one of these stories from the Bible that can seem really, really difficult to understand and believe in light of the undeniable facts seeing it in God's words. This morning we're going to look at a story from Genesis chapter 32 as we continue. And as the last several weeks of messages all come to a culmination of this point, all the dysfunction, all of the dishonesty, all of just all of the struggles, all of the issues that have been going on through Jacob are going to come to a point today. And I've titled today's message, Blessing from the Strangest Wrestling Match Ever. The first service, I uh, challenge everybody to try to say that five times fast, but it's, it's a little difficult to say strangest wrestling match ever. I can't even say it once, all right? But this morning, we're going to look at Jacob and his uh, match he had that's just seemingly uh, impossible, seemingly hard to grasp and believe, but we know the truth of God's word, and we know that it is true in our lives and, and in this. So we're going to look at how this applies to us and how it affects Jacob. Uh, this morning we see, the first thing that we see in Genesis chapter 32, we see that Jacob prepares himself to meet Esau. Jacob prepares himself to meet Esau. Well, how does he prepare himself? Well, the only way that we know that Jacob can prepare himself is to be Jacob, right? He does everything the way Jacob decides to do things. But first, we see that Jacob meets and sees the angels of God. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim, God's camp. God is with him. On this journey, no matter what happens, we can see that no matter what happens in our life, God is with us. He is there. He is always there. He is everywhere, right? No matter where we go, we are not alone, even though it's seemingly we're alone. Jacob was in this place and he sees the angels of God. Uh, He is not alone. God is with him. God is on his side. God is there. And we'll see what Jacob does with this that God is with him, that he's not alone. God is fulfilling his promise. What does Jacob do when he sees and meets the angels of God and knows that God is with him? It's not by accident. It's not, he didn't just happen upon God's camp. God was just hanging out here on earth and with his angels and having a party. He, like, it was on purpose that God showed up there to show Jacob 
that he was on his side, that he was there with him and for him. And again, what does Jacob do? He sends a message to Esau. Jacob sends a message to Esau. What's in this message? We'll look at that now. And Jacob says this, And Jacob sent a message before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, and to the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says our servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent them to, sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. What's in this message? I want to point out three things that are in this message that are important. Uh, that I view us this morning. Uh, Jacob starts out by saying, your servant Jacob. Jacob starts out by seeking to reconcile with Esau after 20 years, and Esau wanted to kill him 20 years ago because he stole Esau's birthright and his father's blessing. Esau really wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob is saying here, he's not saying, hey, your brother's coming to meet you. The guy who stole your birthright is coming to meet you. The, 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 now the, uh, the right to all of the father's blessings uh, is coming to meet you. No, he says your servant, Jacob. This is an attempt for, for Jacob to try to mend things on his own, to try to fix stuff, doing things on his own. I'm lower than you, Esau, don't, don't hurt me, right? I don't, I, don't want, I don't want you to kill me. I'm your servant. Please, please don't, right? Next he says this, I have many animals. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, lots of animals. Jacob was not in this boasting. He was not boasting to Esau, look at all I have. But rather, he wanted Esau to know that he was a man of wealth and that he's not coming to take anything else from Esau. Esau, I've got everything that I need. I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I don't desire anything from you. I have all this my own. I'm not taking anything. So please don't kill me, right? Again, another way of attempt of saying, uh, trying to fix all of this on his own instead of, relying on God. Then Jacob gets a message back and the messengers return with news Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Now outside of this, we just think, oh, he's got a big group of people with him. But Jacob could not bring himself to think the best in Esau. So he thought the 400 men were coming to kill him and his family. How often do we do this when, when we have, uh, when we're trying to do something, we, we think the worst in everything. We think the worst in people. They're trying to, they're out to get me. I, I, I know I, I did something to them. I've apologized a hundred times, but I know they're out to get me. And, and so I'm going to try to do my best. And that we can't think the best in people because of what we did to them. We can't think the best in, in ourselves. We can't think the best in other people. 
because of what of our because of our actions. And Jacob is no different here. He says uh, he could not cannot think the best of Jacob of Esau, and so he says um, they're coming to kill me. So what does Jacob do? What Jacob does best. Jacob prepares with panic and fear. Jacob prepares with panic and fear. In verse 7 it says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided his people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So doing what only Jacob can do, uh, what, he, what he tends to do and what his past is, he, he prepares with panic and fear and he divides his camp into two groups so if one is caught, the other one will get away. Esau's probably going to find the other camp too, right? It's, it's not a matter of like getting far enough apart. He's pretty close if they're sending messages back and forth. Um, this, is, this is panic, not relying on God, not trusting in God's promise. You see that his fear, uh, his fear was wrong because he was just delivered from Laban. See, last week in Pastor Michael's message, we see that uh, God came to Laban when Laban was chasing after Jacob, and we see that God told Laban to leave Jacob alone and not harm him in any way. And when they meet, Laban says, I'm not going to harm you because your God told me not to. So his fear was wrong because he was delivered from Laban already. His fear was wrong because he just saw and met the angels of God who were with him. God's with us all the time, but yet we live in fear. We live in uh, uh, stress and anxiety because of, what God, because of our sin and our actions. But man, it, his fear... God's with him. God's there to protect him. His fear was also wrong because his fear arose from his own sin. He was deceitful and he was dishonest and he stole, not just from one person, but from many. His fear was wrong because it arose from sin. You see, when we live our life in fear, of sin. We're, when we live our life in sin, we're going to be fearful of the consequences. We're going to be fearful of the actions that we have to take place. If you're driving down the road and you're going above the speed limit and you pass a police officer, what happens? Panic, stress. I can tell you that never happens to me. Why? Because I always drive the speed limit. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have fear when I drive down the road and pass a police officer. I don't look in my rearview mirror to see if there's lights going. Why? Because I drive the speed limit. Sometimes under. <laughs> okay, most of the time. You can ask Megan afterwards if, if that's the case. When we live our life in sin, we're going to live our life in fear of what's going to happen, of what's going to happen, and what, what's going to take place. You see, Jacob here is living his life in fear because of his past sin. He's fearful of his brother Esau because of the sins he committed against his brother. He was fearful, he left in secret from Laban because he was fearful because of what he did in sin to Laban. Yes, there was sin back in both, both directions, uh, but Jacob is living in fear because of, of his sin. Finally, Jacob does the first thing that is 
good in this whole, t- it's the first time he's done this through the whole story of all the dysfunction and deceit. Jacob prays. This is the first time that he does this. Which looking back, I, I had to look through this and it was to realize that up to this point, Jacob was all about himself and all about what he could do and how he could fix the problems and the issues. So let's look at his prayer. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with my, the children, but you said, I surely will do you good and make your offspring the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. See, finally, Jacob, acting in fear and dis- disbelief, he finally does the right thing. So what's the good in, in his fear? His fear was good because it led him to pray. It led him to prayer. His fear was good because it led him to review his life. Looked to his past and said, I've done all these things that are wrong. Please forgive me. Please, please, I want to I I fix this. I want to change this. Uh, but God, I need, I need you to do this. And, I, and, and you're the only one that can bless me and, and fulfill your promise. So and within the promise, his fear was good because it led him to seek out a good and suitable promise from God. See, Jacob didn't ask for more, more sheep and more flocks and more, more family. He didn't ask for uh, more uh, stuff and more money and more wealth. In this time that he was seeking God and praying to God, he sought out only for God's promise to be fulfilled and for him to be safe so his promise could be fulfilled. So often we, we'll, we, pray for, we pray for everything else outside of what God has promised. We ask God for this when he's promised this. Jacob sought a suitable promise from God is what he had promised him in the first place. That you will, your offspring will be, the sand, will be numbered as the sand in the sea or numerous. So Jacob prays. But then Jacob does what Jacob always does and acts upon himself and does what he thinks he can do to remedy this situation. Jacob sends Esau many presents and his family ahead of himself. This is a long set of verses, so I'm going to just kind of briefly overview this. But what Jacob does is he sends a small group ahead of Esau. This is after he's already sent the message and returned back. There's 400 men there with him. And so he, what he does is he sends a small group of his servants and animals and ahead of him. And, and their, their message to him is saying, hey, my, we're, we're part of uh, Jacob's uh, group. And Jacob's behind us, and he's coming to meet you. Uh, and so, and then Esau would come to the next, and he sent another group ahead of him. And 
Same message. My brother Jacob, your brother Jacob is behind you. Our master Jacob is behind you, uh, behind us, and he's, he's coming to meet you. And he sent another group and another group and another group. He sent several groups ahead of himself with that same message. Jacob's behind us. We're his servants. We're part of his group. He's coming to meet you. Here's lots of gifts, Esau, so you're not mad at Jacob when you finally get to him. Like a train of presents that are just coming and stuff and gifts. Uh, we'd all like that. Just the train to get made, that would make us pretty happy, right? Forget all about the, the anger stuff. But Jacob's like, man, I gotta, I've got to do something. Even though he just, he's met God's army, God's with him. He just prayed for God to, to, to help him and to uh, allow him to uh, not be harmed by his brother. And he does this thing of giving presents. Not only does he give presents, but then he sends his whole family ahead of himself. In a commentary that I was, I was reading, it says this, we so often, like Jacob, say, I surrender all the goats. If that's not enough, I will surrender all the sheep. And if that's not enough, I'll surrender all the camels. And to this point, what Jacob refused to surrender was himself. Truly trusting in God's promise of protection. How often do we do that? God, I'll give you my money, but you can't have this. God, I'll give you my time, but you can't have this. God, I'll give you part of my life, but you can't have this. You can't have all of me. You see, Jesus, God sent his son Jesus to live on this earth, to live a perfect life for us, you and I, sinners, lost, separated from him for eternity. God sent his son to die for us on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again three days later, defeating death on our behalf so that we could put our faith and trust in him and have eternal life. God says, Jacob, I want all of you. I don't want just some of you. And Jacob refused to surrender everything and trusting in God. The song we sang earlier, all to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Everything I have, me included, I surrender. And Jacob here says, okay, I'm going to send everything ahead of myself except for me. We often do that in our own lives. Now we get to the fun, interesting, weird part of the, the strange part of the passage in reading this. But I wanted to start off with just t- telling you a story. Growing up, we had an interesting family. My dad was a pastor, but we were not allowed to watch wrestling. Okay? Uh, couldn't watch it, just wasn't. We weren't fans, we didn't have t-shirts, we didn't have the action figures, but we also weren't allowed to watch it on TV at all, okay? uh, which is fine by me. I, I don't think I missed out on any, much of anything. All right? But wrestling was huge in a lot of our friends' lives, and, and they'd be like, you gotta, watch, you gotta watch this. Well, we moved into a house and we finally got cable, because it was on cable, and on Monday nights, uh, it was wrestling, right? And 
we would at that time we had two TVs. We had a TV in the basement, a TV upstairs, and I don't know how my dad did it, but he always knew what we were watching downstairs. I figured out later, figured out how, uh, but. So my brother and I would go downstairs on Monday night. Most most evenings we'd be downstairs. We'd turn to turn to the, turn wrestling on. It's the only rule I broke as a kid, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I was not. I was a rule follower all the way. So we'd turn on wrestling and we turn the volume almost all the way down, like as, as low as it possibly could. We could still hear it and still actually enjoy it, right? Uh, and so we'd watch it and we and. All of a sudden, my dad is like, change the channel. I was like, well, how does he know? Like, he didn't even walk down the stairs. Like, you can't even see the, t- like, how? Uh, later, I found out that if you had the TV upstairs on the same channel as the TV downstairs, it echoed through the house, and you could hear it, and it would make a certain noise. Uh, so that's how he knew what we were watching. But uh, our sin always found us out, right? But you see, we come to this place in, in this story, and the reason why I talk about wrestling and, and we talk about the strangest wrestling match ever is because we now that see that Jacob wrestles with God. Verse 24, And Jacob was left alone. He'd send all his family ahead of him. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And in this verse, we see, see that a man wrestles with Jacob until daybreak. Wait a minute, didn't you say just God uh, wrestled with Jacob? How is this a, a man? It says a man. Uh, well, we see later on in, in these verses that, that it is God. So that, that it says, I've wrestled with God. And so what this is, and we could spend probably a whole sermon on this, uh, probably a week or two weeks on this, on this just little verse here, but this is uh, God in the form of man, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So this is an appearance of Jesus uh, before Jesus uh, existed in the New Testament, right? Uh, and so part of the Trinity, the God in man form of Jesus, right? Um, and so this is Jacob wrestling with God. This isn't just a short wrestling match. This is an all-night battle wrestling. I don't know about you, but like when growing up, me and my brother would wrestle, and we'd make it like two or three minutes, and then we'd be like exhausted and have to like stop, and then then we could go wrestle again after we. It's like, but man, wrestling all night long. You watch, you watch wrestling matches, like just like high school wrestling, not, not the WWE wrestling stuff, but like high school wrestling. I mean, they're short matches for a reason. Like they're, they, you wear out, you, you get tired uh, and you have to be in good shape and, and, and fit. And, and we see that Jacob wrestles with God all night long. And in this match, we see that Jacob didn't start out wanting anything from God. A guy just shows up and he starts wrestling him. And Jacob didn't want anything from this. But it was God wanting from Jacob his self-reliance and full submission. So this is God coming to Jacob saying, I want from you everything. You haven't given it to me. Now we're going to wrestle over it. Well, how did, uh, how can, how can this, how can this be? How can man wrestle with God? 
We see the truth in, the, in God's word. But then the next part is kind of also seemingly hard to believe. The man saw that he did not prevail and dislocated Jacob's hip by touching it. The man saw that he did not prevail. He wasn't winning. God wasn't winning against this match, seemingly. So what does he do? Touched his hip and dislocated it. See, this match was only even in appearance. The man, God, could have won at any moment. Sometimes we feel that Man can contend with God. A man or a woman in rebellion against God might seem to be doing really, really well. Man, that's frustrating, isn't it? When you know somebody's living in rebellion against God and their life is great, seemingly. Things are just falling into place for them. I know several people like that. It's frustrating, but you know what? The match only seems even in appearance. God can turn the tide at any moment. But why does he do that? Why does why it seemingly like people that are in rebellion it seem good? He allows the match to go on for his purpose. For his purpose. Not theirs, not ours. You see, he allowed this match to go on for Jacob's purpose. For the better of Jacob. He allows this to go on so that now that Jacob is blessed and then given a permanent reminder, permanent reminders. Through this whole wrestling match, finally Jacob gets blessed. In the verse 26 it says, Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him and passed to Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. In this, Jacob, we see that Jacob won't let go until he's blessed. Jacob knows he's lost, but clings to him desperately. No, I'm not going to let go until I'm blessed. Sometimes we give up pretty easy when it comes to stress and problems and things in our life. Jacob isn't demanding and dictating terms to God. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to give up until you bless me. You see, he was, he was pleading a blessing from the greater one. He knew that he could not win. He knows he's lost. So he pleads to the one that can bless him. He pleads to the one that is greater than he. We need to seek the one who's greater than us on a daily basis. 
Why? Hosea 12, 3 through 4. In the womb he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood he strove with God. And he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. See, Jacob could now only rely and hold on to the blessing and the promise of God. He could no longer hold on to himself and what he desired and what he wanted. He could only hold on to the one thing is God's promise. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Jacob did not give up. He held on to be blessed. Hold on to God's promise that he died on the cross for us, for our sins, so that we could have eternal life and not separated from him forever. What was Jacob's blessing? Jacob's name is changed to Israel. His name went from meaning supplanter or deceiver to meaning Israel. God rules. Jacob's name is changed to God rules. God is everything. Jacob is then given two memorials from this match. Two memorials from this match. The first memorial, he names the place there Peniel, which means face of God. Face of God. The second reminder and memorial that he's given is that he walks with a permanent limp. He's given a permanent reminder of the wrestling match with God. You strove with God. God dislocated your hip and you clung to the promise of God. You didn't cling to anything else. You fully surrendered. God, I need you. You see, we're given a permanent reminder to cling to, and that's the cross the empty cross. We're given another permanent reminder, the empty grave, the empty tomb, that he rose from the grave on our behalf so that we could have eternal life with him by putting our faith and trust in Jesus alone. Not in ourselves, not in our understandings, not in what we can do, not in how we can handle things, but on what he does and what he has done for us on the cross. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to hear from your word today and what you have to say to us. God, I just pray that uh, you will uh, be with us this week as we go out into the world. And God, I just pray that we will cling to the promise that you've, that, that you've given us of dying on the cross. God, I pray that we will uh, be so excited that we can't help but share that promise with other people around us. God, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what struggles, what frustrations, God, that we will not act in uh, panic and fear, but that we will trust in your promise, that we, your tr- promise to uh, allow, see us through and see us to the, to the end. And God, I just pray that you will be with us through all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.